Welcome back to another episode of Politics for the Non-Political, the last episode of 2020, um, which, I mean, the podcast has only been alive for now seven episodes, so uh, not too many in 2020, but here we go, last one. So this week's episode um, is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to do kind of a, a rundown, um, a recap of some top political moments in 2020. So obviously a majority of 2020 has been um, taken over um, by the coronavirus and COVID-19 global pandemic. Um, my thoughts and prayers and well wishes go out to those who have lost a loved one, to those who um, have been touched in some way by this virus. Um, and I also am looking forward to 2021, um, hopefully starting out. Um, you know how they always say like March is either in like a lion out like a lamb or in like a lamb out like a lion. So I'm hoping that since we're going out kind of like a lion, um, we're also going to go in like a lion and then we're going to come out like a lamb. So we're going to we're going to go in kind of crazy, um, hopefully on the tail end of the global pandemic with um, the uh, vaccinations coming out. Um, it looks like there's another one um, that's a co-company with AstraZeneca um, that has um, could be approved. Um, obviously, we have Moderna and Pfizer, and we're you know starting these rollouts and we're starting to vaccinate our frontline workers and our elderly. Um, and so we're going to talk. We're I want to talk about some of these issues, um, the the top political moments of 2020. So, um, we kind of started off with a bang. Um, this year we started off with um the impeachment trial. So, um, for those of you who aren't political, who didn't know, um, it kind of was covered on a lot of major news networks, but. The House delivered two articles of impeachment, and Donald Trump was, in fact, impeached. He um, is considered an impeached president. However, he was acquitted um, once the trial moved to, um, or once the the um, impeachment proceedings moved to the Senate, that serves as um, kind of the judge and the jury. Um, I'll do kind of a breakdown of how impeachment works. So um, if you listen to, I believe it's the first episode of the Constitution series, I talk about what impeachment means, how it happens, um, but it doesn't, it, it's not a normal crime like you would um, think of. It's something that um, high crimes and misdemeanors um, is part of it. And this um, essentially means that if you are seen as, um, you know, committing treason against the United States, or um, a good example is Nixon and the Watergate scandal. Um, you know, Nixon was going to be impeached and more than likely removed because of his breaking out Watergate and then trying to cover up the crime, um, deleting tapes, all this other stuff. 
that is seen as a crime in the office of um, an elected official. But, you know, besides the breaking and entering part, trying to trying to cover that up um, also could be seen as a crime. But it's not something that you would think of, you know, somebody's like running down the street away from the police. Like the police aren't going to arrest you for breaking in um, to an office um, to steal some tapes. They might arrest you for breaking and entering, but, um, you know, it it's a crime in a different sense of the word. It's, um, you know, a, a moral crime, I think is the best way to describe it. So um, President Donald Trump was impeached. He is an impeached um, president and he is a one-term president um, as of right now. So that's that's kind of the big one. Um, we started 2020, um, the political sphere of 2020 off with kind of a bang. Um, the next one, so I found this list on msn.com. Most of these... Um, stories have been covered by so many different news outlets that um, you can really get a good perspective on anything um, that you want to learn more about or definitely like feel free to reach out on any of the podcast social media pages if you want to have a discussion about any of these things but I'm just going to kind of do a rundown. Um, so the next one is um, Nancy Pelosi tore up a copy of President Trump's State of the Union address. So whether you are a Democrat or a Republican or an independent or somebody who doesn't really care, somebody who cares a lot, this was kind of a very um, big deal. So it was seen as um, a sort of disrespect for the standing president, but it was also seen as something that Nancy Pelosi, as the Democratic Speaker of the House, felt that she needed to do because of where the country was going, the point we had been at, what had been happening in the world. Um, you know, all of these different things led up to this um, very... Um, ceremonial almost act of um, tearing up the speech, um, giving her response to the speech, um, all of these things. And of course, it was covered by the news, but it, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a hot, a hot topic, um, such as, you know, maybe the presidential debates or um, the presidential election, which had really dominated major news streams, um, but almost the whole year. Um, so, the next thing is that the World Health Organization declared the coronavirus a global pandemic. So a lot of people are like, Emma, this is medical news. Why are you covering this in a podcast about politics? Because it became a politicized issue, especially in the United States. So the World Health Organization um, obviously holds a lot of credibility when it comes to health issues and um, the issues that they deal with. They literally deal with health issues around the world. And the WHO... Um, not the band, the organization, um, the WHO really um, looked at coronavirus and declared it a global pandemic. And this is when nation um, political leaders, um, worldwide political leaders were starting to come together to figure out a way to combat this, to find the best way to, um, you know, kind of move on from what was happening. And so it became a very politicized issue because you saw, um, 
states um, or nations with female leaders had better success rates at um, sort of slowing the pandemic in their countries versus nations with um, male-dominated leadership. Or, you know, you could look at it from a liberal or conservative perspective or first world and third world countries, um, which that's not really a term anymore. So fun fun side fact, um, it used to be first, second, third world. The first world was excuse me, was non-communist states, Um, second world was the communist bloc, and then third world was kind of everyone else, the developing nations. So now it's kind of developed and developing nations is really um, the better term since we don't have a second world country anymore. But anyways, these there was a big difference between the developed and the developing nations and populations and who had stricter lockdown requirements and who um, started mask mandates right away, who, you know, it played a lot into the um, sociopolitical um, kind of conscience of um, people. So in the United States, we tend to be very um, individualist people. It's very much um, what can you do for me um, versus what can I do to help everyone else. Um, And that's something that's been studied. It's um, the political culture in the United States is very... um, centric to your individual needs. Um, So my goal in to start off 2021 is to do kind of another series on identity politics and what it means and how we identify with certain issues and how that drives our political views because I think it's something that's very fascinating. Um, It kind of goes into a political sociology, psychology kind of standpoint, Um, but that's a story for another day. So I think because of the pandemic, it made, it became a political issue when it didn't need to be, but I feel like that's also inevitable because it comes down to the nation's political leaders as to how we're going to deal with a global pandemic. So number four um, hits close to home. Um, So nationwide protests and riots broke out against police brutality and racial violence in the wake of George Floyd's murder on the streets of Minneapolis, Minnesota in broad daylight. So I say this hits close to home because I'm Minnesota born and raised. There have been numerous issues with um, the Minneapolis Police Department and it just breaks my heart that something like this happened in my home state, in a state that I'm proud to be in. But at the same time, it really shows the political side of racial inequality and police brutality. And, you know, we passed the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments um, in the post-Civil War Reconstruction era. We passed the... Um, You know, we talked last week um, about Lyndon B. Johnson, and in, you know, 64, 65, 68, he passed a bunch of legislation that, um, you know, made segregation illegal. Um, The Supreme Court ruled on it in Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas, saying that separate is inherently unequal, Um, but yet we still see it today. We are black identifying people of color color and our black communities are still fighting the same battles that they have been fighting since the civil war ended 
they are still asking for equal rights. They're not asking for more. They're asking for equal. And the power imbalance that people think that this creates creates such a backlash that these issues become magnified and it was on a global scale that people were protesting and marching for the murders of George Floyd, for the murders of Breonna Taylor, for the countless numbers of African-American men and women that have senselessly lost their lives due to police brutality and police violence. And I have said this time and time again that I think equal rights shouldn't be a political issue. Everybody should have the same rights no matter the color of their skin, their ethnicity, their gender, their sexual identity. It shouldn't matter who you love or who you are. You should be able to live your life in the same way that everyone else does. Um, But we're not seeing that and it's frustrating. But in a sense, I was very proud of the people in my generation who stepped up and donated and started marches and started movements and made their voices heard because something so terrible happened and we finally reached that breaking point where enough was enough. And I wish I wish I could have done more, but I donated. I, you know, participated in social media activism, which I have a love-hate relationship with it, but I do think it's important. I, um, you know, supported my friends who were starting protests um, in the wake of Breonna Taylor's death. And it's something that really just made a bad year worse for so many people. And it's a hard topic to talk about, especially being white and female and coming from a you know, fairly well-off family. I don't have the same experiences as our black communities, as, um, you know, people in rural areas, people living in the inner cities, in more urbanized areas. It really, it's hard to, it's hard to put it in perspective, um, coming from my background and my view of things. And it just makes me sad. And it still makes me sad and there's still a lot of work left to be done um, in our communities and um, I think I think we as a people can do so much better for our minority communities whether it's um, based on gender and sexual identity whether it's um, our black communities our Asian Hmong Somali um, Hispanic um, Latinx communities I think we can do so much better to support them and make sure that they are getting equal opportunities um, because I think I think it's important and you know it starts um it starts at home and it starts with how you view the world and exploring your biases and um, I think there's a lot that can be done. So that is um, my discussion on that. Um, it's a it's a heavy topic. Um, it will always be a heavy topic. It shouldn't have happened in the first place, but it did. And it's something that we need to talk about. Um, you know, we can't dance around the issues. We've been taught for so long that talking about religion or politics is something that you shouldn't do. So 
so people don't know how to have those conversations. And that's that's why, you know, I really wanted to start this podcast. Um, you're going to have difficult conversations and they need to happen. So next on my list, um, along with racial um, discrimination, we also still deal with sexual harassment and sexual discrimination. So um, if you don't remember... Um, Representative um, Alexandra, um, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong, AOC. Um, AOC gave a speech on the House floor to call out um, the Republican representative from Florida, Ted Yoho, Yuhu, Yoho, Yoho's um, behavior and non-apology after he accosted her um, and uh, you know, didn't didn't say anything about it, didn't apologize, didn't do anything to correct the situation. And something that was really powerful to me in her speech, um, I highly recommend you go and listen to it. Um, it floated around on social media for a while, but it's definitely something that you need to listen to. And it just reminds me that you don't always get a public venue to kind of air your grievances with the stuff that's happened. But even as a legal assistant, even in my job, I have, you know, faced sexual harassment. I've had to file sexual harassment claims and I work online. It, you know, it doesn't go away until you call it out and you make people realize that their actions are not okay. And part of her speech that really got to me is, um, you know, Representative Yoho talked about how he had a wife and two daughters. And, you know, he would never do that because he had a wife and two daughters. And she um, talked about, like, I'm someone's daughter. You know, you're someone's sister. You're someone's wife. You're someone's significant other. We're all somebody's, you know, female relative. It shouldn't matter that you have a sister or a wife or um, an aunt or a niece or anything like that. It shouldn't matter who they're related to because they're somebody. And that com- that's the fundamental issues of it. And this was a really big thing in the political world because she called them out directly on the House floor. Um, and I think it's something that that needs to happen is you need to call them out if you feel comfortable or, you know, re- report it when it happens. And that's, again, a whole nother debate that'll happen, and I just, watching her speech just makes me feel really proud to be a woman and see her stand up for herself. Um, You know, she shouldn't have to. He should have apologized. He should have um, made a comment, at least, about his actions um, and recognizing that they were wrong and that somebody felt violated by what he did, but her speech was something that I think we'll go down in history as one of the iconic um, feminism speeches of, for sure, 2020, um, definitely by a, a representative in the modern era. So the next one, going back to um, COVID, uh, the ever-evolving story of COVID, um, the president and the first lady tested positive for COVID-19. So President Trump was treated at Walter Reed Hospital, um, which is the hospital that the president uses um, for all of their treatment. And so he was treated at the hospital. He, um, you know, kind of received a very expensive cocktail of um, experimental trials and drugs. And I just think this is something that needs to kind of be called out because of the way that he phrased his treatment, um, the way that he kind of put a spin on it. 
just say you got the treatment and call it and move on. Like, you got COVID-19. Like, there's no, the, the tests are there. You're a, a huge public figure. It's not a surprise. Um, but the way he acted and put other people senselessly at risk um, just really upset me, um, especially from a political standpoint. Like, you're supposed to be a role model for the entire nation. And here you are putting your Secret Service uh, members at risk because you feel the need to go and drive around and wave to your supporters. Like, just stay in the hospital, get your treatment, wave to your supporters afterwards. Um, if you want to not listen to the rest of the podcast because of that, be my guest. Um, so the next one is kind of funny. Um, it makes me giggle, but it is a tough political moment because it really dominated um, news and social media, especially, and it became a meme. But it was the fly that landed on Vice President Pence's head during the vice president debates. Um, also, when Kamala Harris said, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking, um, that's something that happens a lot, and you saw it on a very public sphere. Um, but this is something that I will always laugh about because um, it was just so funny and the fact that it kind of dominated um, the news and social media for so long just really cracks me up because I feel like if it would have been any other political sphere, it would have been like a news story that day and been like, hey, did you see the did you see the fly that landed on Pence's head? And somebody would have been like, no, I didn't watch the debates because I don't care. And then they would have been like, oh, it's kind of funny. And then they would have moved on. But instead it became a meme and everybody talked about it for a really long time but it 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 makes me laugh it's kind of funny um the presidential debates also happened twice um they instituted a muting of the microphone which i think is something that's very important um regardless of who's talking i think it should have been in place a long time ago um because essentially the debates are just people yelling at each other and not actually answering the questions and the moderators kind of catch all of their um all of the bs that gets uh, flung around but i don't have a lot to say about the presidential debates because I found it very difficult to watch because it became very much an attack and I was able to learn about their platforms in a different manner, um, you know, through news sources and through personal websites and everything like that. And I have not made it a secret um, that I tend to be a more liberal leaning um, political voter. Um, so I already kind of knew going into the election who I was going to be voting for, but it still is important to do your research. Um, Again, I'll say it again, do your research. It's very important. You want to be an educated voter. Um, but uh, yeah, they happened. It was it was a big deal. It was a presidential election year. Um, it's that will always be a big deal in political spheres. Um, in a personal uh, big moment of 2020, I only predicted one state wrong on my electoral college map. So in the past, um, I think three two presidential elections. So the 2016 and 2020 presidential elections, I made my own predictions as to um, how the Electoral College would go. Um, 2016, very wrong. Absolutely, terribly wrong. I was very naive at that point um, in studying politics and how people kind of viewed the world. But in this one, I only got one state wrong. It was North Carolina. That was the only state that I, um, you know, miscalled, so to speak. But 
I was very proud of myself. I did um, a lot of research went into my map. Um, there's a lot of different um, kind of um, interactive electoral college maps that you can use. And it's very interesting to see how they break it down. And they have a lot of other reference maps. And um, I just like I just have like humble, humble bragging rights. that I only called one state wrong. Um, and I'm not a political professional by any means. I just kind of sat in my room on my laptop with some wine and, uh, and um, you know, we made it, we made it work. Um, Amy Coney Barrett was sworn in as the youngest Supreme Court justice after the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So if you know me personally, I love, love Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I, she has been a role model of mine for many years, um, just in the way that she carries herself, in the way that she is still, she was so sassy, but also in literally the highest court in the entire, in the United States. And she was somebody that I really respected for her work on um, sexual equality um, and gender equality. And I have always admired her. Um, as far as my thoughts on Amy Coney Barrett, I do think that the nomination was rushed through. Um, a majority of the um, American people said that before the election, in multiple polls done um, by multiple polling sources, that a majority of the American people thought that it should have been left up to the next president to choose the Supreme Court justice. I um, was disappointed, but also not surprised in the way that it happened, just in the fact that um, it, you kind of saw the writing on the wall, that they were going to really kind of push for um, Amy Coney Barrett's uh, nomination. I was a little skeptical of um, her um, qualifications, um, just coming from the standpoint of a legal professional and, you know, seeing the, the binders upon binders that other people, um, have submitted as their, you know, proof of judicial work, regardless of whether, you know, they're a conservative or a liberal, I would have, um, liked to see somebody, um, still a female. I think that was, um, very good to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg with, um, another woman, but I do wish um, I would have seen somebody uh, have a little more um, federal experience um, arguing on a federal bench because it is different than, you know, arguing as a lawyer or even arguing in a lower um, state court. So she was um, sworn in. She also cemented the conservative majority on the court. And this was very surprising to me in the way that... Um, some of the rulings ended up happening in um, some of the later court cases that we had seen this year, um, especially dealing with the um, um, election um, lawsuits in various states. And it was just very um, interesting to me to see how they had ruled, even though it was a conservative majority and they're very much um, tend to be tend to heavily favor states' rights um, in their uh, rulings. But it, it, we'll see. The Supreme Court, in some senses, is ever-changing and evolving, um, despite the fact that many people stay there for, you know, a lifetime. But um, 
we'll see. It'll be, it'll be interesting to watch how, um, the Supreme Court rules on certain cases and, um, where the decisions go in the next, you know, kind of three to four years. I don't think you can judge somebody, um, immediately within their first year because they don't have a lot of experience hearing cases, but, um, it'll be interesting. It'll be something to watch, and as a political nerd, don't worry, I'll keep you updated. So, my last um, one, uh, kind of a lengthy-ish one, but Joe Biden won the 2020 presidential election by securing um, more than 270 electoral college votes. So, people may argue voter fraud or, you know, widespread overturning of the election and all of these various lawsuits, but the long and the short of it is that Joe Biden won in a free and fair election and all of the legal ballots were counted and as a reminder, states set the election rules that um, mail-in voting has been around since the Civil War, and that's how all of our overseas troops um, vote, as well as um, if you have grandparents that winter um, in another state like mine do, they also may vote by mail or vote early. Um, this is not the... Um, boss tweed in Chicago or gangs of New York-esque era where it was vote early and vote often. Um, this is the era where you do have to verify your identity. You do have to, you know, show that you live in that precinct. Um, they do throw out your ballots if you count more than once um, or if you vote more than once and they do not count ballots of dead people. Um, election security is a really big thing. Um, thank you to all of our poll workers um, who have continued to work extremely hard counting ballots, certifying election results. And um, I am looking forward to the next um, political era of the United States. Um, so the one thing to me that's really interesting about politics is the fact that it does change um, every four years. Um, there is um, almost certainly a change every four years um, and sometimes even less than that because, you know, you have midterm elections, um, but those don't tend to cause as many waves as the big presidential elections. Um, so the lawsuits, you know, um, Trump did not win a single lawsuit. All of the lawsuits were thrown out. The Supreme Court threw out the lawsuit that Texas filed. Um, and the ruling on this one was one that I thought was really interesting. They said that Texas had the right to file a lawsuit, but only in the state of Texas. The fact that other states were included in this um, made it null and void. They had no jurisdiction in any of the other states. Only Texas can file um, a lawsuit for Texas election results. It was also very interesting to me that Texas was the one that started the lawsuit, considering they went red by a, f a fairly decent majority. Um, Texas is still a pretty red state. But um, yeah, I, I think 2020 is a year of politics that um, we will not forget, that um, it had a lot of political moments. Um, and I think it's something that 
we will definitely continue to talk about whether 2020, you know, is just the year of the coronavirus pandemic um, and COVID-19 and everything that comes along with that, you know, wearing a mask and washing your hands and socially distancing and holidays looking different, or if it'll be the year that people remember as, um, you know, Joe Biden winning the election, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing away, um, Tom Hanks getting coronavirus. I know that was a big news story for a while um, when kind of COVID first started. Um, As for myself, I am excited that 2020 is over. It has been a fairly difficult year. Um, I've been luckier than a lot that I have not experienced a lot of loss in my family um, due to COVID-19. I did have um, someone in my family pass away, um, a great uncle, and um, you know, it's definitely been a challenging year, but um, in the highlights, uh, I'm celebrating my one-year work anniversary very soon. I, um, you know, started a new school program. I've met um, some great people through my program. I reconnected with old friends and continued to strengthen relationships with new ones. And, um, you know, I started a podcast. I started a passion project um, that um, I really look forward to. I love doing research for it. And, I am excited to see where this goes as well as the political era of 2021. So for the last time in 2020, um, thank you all for listening. Um, To those of you who continue to listen week after week, um, I greatly appreciate it. As always, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash nonpoliticalpolitics, on patreon.com at patreon.com backslash nonpoliticalpolitics. The podcast can be found on iTunes and Spotify, um, as well as a few other podcast streaming services um but you can type in politics for the non-political or my name emma olson um and you should be able to find it um look for our logo um leave me a voice message um so i want to hear from you guys i want to hear um whether it's your top political moments from 2020 um what you're looking forward to in 2021 words of encouragement anything like that you can leave um a voice message the link will be in the um description and follow us on Twitter at politics underscore non. Um, we also have an email address, which can be found on our Facebook page. So send me an email. Um, if anybody wants to be a guest star, let me know. It was a lot of fun having Amelia on last week. And if you haven't listened to that episode, give it a listen for some good discussions on LBJ and politics of the um, late 60s. And as always, um, thank you for tuning in. And uh I'll see you next week, or should I say next year?